0: Good morning, everyone. Evolutionary.org hardcore podcast coming your way. This is one zero seven. Steve Smee here in the mobster. We flew him in first class on the Concorde just to do this show. What's up, buddy?
1: Not so bad. I had to fly over with my hands. I'm really, really tired. My arms are tired. (laughs) All right, (laughs) guys. So in this one let's get going. Let's kill. Let's
0: kill it. Yeah. And this one, we're continuing our series uh, with the legends of bodybuilding. This one, we're going to do Rick Drazen. Um, And he actually passed away recently. We're doing this podcast um, a few days after he passed away. So there's a lot of information that's going to come out. So definitely follow up with us on the forums and we'll follow up on uh, the happenings of that. But Rick Drazen, uh, his life and his death. This is what this podcast is going to talk about. So Rick was a California based wrestler. He's a Jack of all trades. You can't just call him a wrestler. You can't just call him a bodybuilder. You can't call him an actor. You can't call him an author. You can't call him a stuntman. He was all of that. He personally trained.
1: Art? Well, yeah. Art too.
0: He did art. Uh, his kids are big in art as well. So it's definitely in his family. He did movies. He did shows. He trained wrestlers. He trained bodybuilders. He did it all. Um, and then in recent years, he was known in the fitness industry. A lot of younger guys know him because he has a really good YouTube video series that he did called Rick's corner. And a lot of it was all about the old school stories from years training the best bodybuilders in the world in Southern California interviewing the best bodybuilders of that era, et cetera, et cetera. So he was very popular for doing those interviews with the top fitness celebrities and bodybuilders past and present. And he gave a lot of tips. He was um, he loved talking about the way things were back in the day and kind of modernizing it to the way that things are now. So, um, you know, you can keep, take a peek at his YouTube page. Uh, we'll, we'll include it in the link. So Early life, uh, Rick, he was born in 1944, Bakersfield, California, which is a, an hour or two north of Los Angeles, California. His chil—his parents were in the children's clothing business. He's got one sister, um, and the way he got into fitness and wrestling is his dad used to take him to watch professional wrestling when he was a child, and he had the dream of one day becoming a professional wrestler. So once he became a teenager, he got into weight training, he got into bodybuilding, he had the, the ability there to do it. He was also into music. He had his own band. He had two different bands, I believe. Um, he spent his college years on the arts. He was in the Army Reserves for eight years um, as a sergeant. And then, you know, in 1962, he started doing classes at the YMCA where he lived. And he started teaching about fitness, nutrition. He started learning a lot about it. He started to talk to the old school guys there and learn from them. He started managing a local gym. He started personal training at the gym. Um, But at the end of the day, he really loved wrestling. Uh, That was his thing. And he met a woman named Johnny Mae Young, and she helped train him. She was the best Female wrestler at the time, uh, way ahead of her day. And she helped him. She taught him. She trained him. And that helped him kind of get in, into the business. So his name, wrestling, he was called the Equalizer. He was six foot, 222 pounds. That was his listed stats. He was the AFW heavyweight champion, CCW champion, and GCW junior heavyweight champion. So, you know, he did the wrestling. And I'll let Mobster come in, but, you know, as wrestler he also learned promoting promoting was a big thing he actually made way, way more money promoting if you were a good promoter um and he knew that and he kind of got into that and he also at that time he hustled he did modeling he did some adult work um in films he did short films he did shows he did some commercials um he starred even and he had a guest star role in the incredible hulk and you know he did a lot of little things here and there one of the cool things me and mobster mobster and i were, were discussing in the pre-show was his yeah. logo work and he did uh both the world's gym and the gold's gym logo uh where you have that gorilla holding the bar from the world's gym so he designed that logo so he, he did a lot of stuff he was a jack of all trades he didn't just do bodybuilding or just do wrestling he he did it all and i like that i like that uh about a person when they when they're a jack of all trades like that
1: I was going to say on the wrestling side, the, the lady that he worked with, she, she was one of the first uh, coaches and mentors and owned uh, something which would be very similar to the wrestling schools that we know exist now. In terms of promoting the sport, training these people and getting them ready to be part of the circuit, which of course uh, the, 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 both the lower and the higher end guys are part of. When you're, when you're wrestling 40 or 50 weeks of the year, the kind of crazy lifestyle and uh, one of the uh, podcasts and videos of his own that he did was talking about um, not only, uh, it was one of those, is this wrestling kind of wrestling real? And he explains quite properly, of course, as, as scripted as those kind of wrestling things are, if someone's hitting you with a chair, uh, they're hitting you with your chair. If they're throwing you over the ropes, you're still being thrown over the ropes. And in fact, one of the, the, the secrets uh, and a phrase that he used uh, during the interview was uh, red equals green, meaning that if you bleed, if, if it looks like you're uh, getting smashed about, this sells, you make more money that you sell more seats. And in fact, one of the uh, particular uh, specific things that they were talking about was the use of razor blades in wrestling. So this is hardcore, people. We're not, we're not talking about uh, the Saturday night stuff that we used to see here in the UK. This is the kind of inner tent Uh, 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 and middle America uh, driving into town and setting up the ring and all this kind of stuff. So he actually says, he was interviewed, during the interview, he says uh, about whether they they would hide it in their hands or they would put the razor blade in their tongues or even under uh, a wrap around their wrist. But he said, and so the other person says, well, did you do that? He says, oh, sure. And he points to his head and he says, you could see for the older, more hardcore, more uh, seasoned, uh wrestlers but how hardcore or whatever they was by the number of small scars on their foreheads so you know, this is pretty pretty nasty gritty dirty uh, stuff where you're, you're getting uh, pretty much physically semi beat up on a, on a weekly basis that you're deliberately making yourself bleed you're doing kind of crazy stuff so it's a proper full-on nasty lifestyle for whatever money so yeah that makes sense to go into the promotion much easier uh, on, on the body and a lot uh, better there's actually a uh, image which i believe is on rick's own uh, website and it, the image is it's got a lot of uh, arrows pointing to various parts of the body and this rick's um, rick's uh, injuries from wrestling and it's pretty much The whole fucking body, shoulder, elbow, wrist, chest, clavicle, knee, hip. There's just pretty much, he actually came out of it really, really well. There are guys that are in wheelchairs and on sticks, and Rick had neither. Although he did have, uh, just recently, and I believe in the last couple of years, have to have some knee surgery and some hip surgery. And again, this will be on his own uh, YouTube channel where he talks about this specifically, yeah.
0: Yeah, I wanted to jump in. I don't think people realize, yes, professional wrestling is fake. I mean, yeah. it's, it's rigged. It's fake. It, it's it's a show. It's, it's a, entertainment.
1: It's but,
0: but even though it's not real, you're still picking up and throwing a 200 or 50 – at that time, a 225, 250-pound yeah. guy. And these days, the guys are a lot bigger. You're picking oh, yeah. them up and throwing them, picking them up, throwing them over yeah. and over – In a short amount of time, it's just – and during the match, your adrenaline is sky high, the crowd is screaming. You don't feel any injuries during the match. But then after the match, once your adrenaline goes away, you're like, oh, damn, I just herniated five discs in my back. And that's what (laughs) happens with with these wrestlers. And they tear shoulders and they tear up their knees. (laughs) but they don't know it while they're doing it, but they find out it there. It's in a short amount of time, picking up and throwing, picking up and throwing. Then you get picked up and thrown, you get picked up and thrown. So it's, it's, it is insane how destructive pro wrestling is on the body. People don't really, if I explain it like that, I think people do, do realize it, mobster.
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the other things that he did, and, and when Steve said he had, a, 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 he was really, you know, so many different roles, so many different jobs, so so many talents. I mean, he was a a, a film, TV and film stuntman, not just in the Hulk, which I'll mention in a minute, uh, but uh, other films and movies. And again, I I know, I actually personally know, one of the guys that we trained with is a fellow called Nick McKinley. who's a TV and film stuntman with quite the uh, list of uh, things that he's done. And you have to master to be a professional stuntman, master, and be able to teach seven, specific aspects whether that's uh, riding a, a horse or or some sort of a, you know sword fighting or whatever and you have to be get up to a teaching level but again people think that the stunt stuff is all you know safety cables and, and special vests and things like this but some of them still literally will fall down a flight of stairs you know and sometimes if the, with the cameras that we have now with, with the high, high definition that we have, now, you can't pad the stairs or you can't pad the guy. So they are falling off horses. They are falling off buildings and all this kind of stuff. And he, so he was, not only did he do the wrestling, which probably prepared him for the stuntman, he was doing his physical stuff. So this is a big, tough, physical fella with a, an enormous list of uh, skills and talents that he's got. On the Hulk thing, And as we were discussing in a previous podcast, just how big this uh, TV show was, for those of you that are too, too young to remember. There's a, a particular episode, which I believe is called Prometheus, but he also starred in a few of the other episodes when, the, during the transformation from when the Bill Bixby character hulks out and becomes the Lou Ferrigno, uh, the Hulk that we recognise, this huge muscular fella, the Demi-Hulk, the, the Hulk in-between part of the transformation was was Rick and in Prometheus he kind of gets stuck so Rick's big moment so to speak and the most recognized for us as bodybuilders and uh, lifters was the the halfway the demi-Hulk and I believe in Prometheus I said pretty much the whole episode is where Hulk is kind of stuck in his transformation he doesn't go Hulk and he doesn't go back to human, and you know, towards the end of the episode, for the finish of the story, and that was Rick's. Rick played that particular part. There was a couple of other bodybuilders, I seem to recall, with with makeup on, where they were doing the falls and some of the stunt work. They're not going to throw Louis off a roof onto cardboard boxes. So someone else did that. But yeah, that was Rick's big, big, big uh, part there, and and the one for which he's recognised in the eighties. Uh, as, as far as the artwork is concerned, and we're going to we'll get onto that specifically, he was, he was quite the artist. I haven't seen too much of his work, but I actually mentioned again in, in the preview, when pre, prelim build-up for the podcast, I actually went out of my way this week and brought the classic yellow gold Dim logo T-shirts. Got the, this, I, I'm assuming it's official because it's got the right labels in the collar. And this is the famous, it took him two minutes to do this design for Joe Gold, on a napkin whether they're having a meal, and as part of the research for this podcast, the numbers and this was from uh, Dave Palumbo's RX Muscle was specifically mentioned. Get get hold of these numbers, Steve. The shop near to the main Gold's finished Finish Gym that we're, we're familiar with, the main one that people go to visit now, not the old one on Pacific Avenue. Which is the one that uh, Arnold, etc., and he'll probably Rick himself trained it back in the day. But the big one with the three rooms, five rooms, and the famous logo outside, etc., in the car park that people pose next to. There's a shop nearby, or was a shop nearby, that sold Gold's Gym stuff, and they were selling <laughs> thirty thousand dollars a day at its peak. Now that's a million dollars a month from one shop of just Gold's Gym logo uh, athletic wear. And specifically, obviously, the T-shirts. I believe, um, I, I didn't follow this up and double-check it, but I believe one of the big super, the super uh, department stores in New York uh, sold something like $400,000 a year. So that was not, uh, literally nowhere near the gym. And I, I'm going to say at one point, it was probably the biggest selling uh, bodybuilding type shirt ever. And certainly at that point in time, when you're selling a million dollars a month, out of a shop a few minutes away from the gym, of just one logo design. That's, that's up there with the Nike and Adidas kind of stuff. And so that's how popular that shirt was. Now, to a lesser degree, and again, it's Joe Gold, because Joe Gold, of course, wrote the original Gold's Gym, and then later on, the uh, uh, Welch Gym. It might have been Ken Sprague that he did the uh, logo design for, but Joan Gold, of course, was the creator of both those gyms. He, as Steve said earlier on, also designed the Welch Gym logo. So the two most well-known gym cup chains in the world with the simple logos. And these were minutes, real quick designs. Like sometimes when they do these popular songs, the stuff that you sweat for weeks and hours over, it doesn't seem to make it, but the stuff that's off the cuff, that's inspired, that's the stuff that, you know, Candle in the Wind, five minutes by Elton John. This is the same sort of thing. I think he said two to two and a half minutes on a, a napkin in a restaurant. And this is the logo that was selling a million dollars a month from one store in California, just one store. So Christ knows what the, the the money that they, they probably made as much money selling t-shirts as they did through their memberships in the gyms. Yeah. Back to you, Steve.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's a great marketing. Uh, that's the way it was. I mean, back in those days you could, uh, there was no competition. Now you have, um, uh, you know, a million places selling t-shirts, um, uh, so, I mean, the competition's a lot more firm. So that's, yeah, that's how a lot of people got rich. Um, so, you know, let's kind of get into that. You mentioned Southern California and you mentioned him working out. So, and that's one of the things Rick talks about a lot. He loves talking about that. 60s and 70s, working out with guys like Arnold, working out with the, the group, you know, as uh, the clique that okay. they had. Yeah. And they would train all week mm-hmm. hard. They would eat clean. And then on Sunday, they would have a cheat meal. They loved ice cream, cheeseburgers, you know, on Sundays. And that's how it was. That was their life. Beach, women, working out, and then food.
1: Yeah, but the specifics, one of the things is that he trained, he was part of that actual core group that trained with Arnold. And I believe the, 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 the timescale quoted was uh, four years. But So I think there are uh, some of those famous uh, black and white photographs where you can pick out the group and you'll see that Arnold and Franco and, and other well-known faces, Robbie, et cetera, in there. And in that group for four years was included Rick Dracing. So he would have been one of the guys that was bit of, would have been invited to these uh, chill outs, uh, I'd have to double check the pumping iron video. I don't think he was one of the guys that said that little party where they're smoking herbal cigarettes, shall we say, but certainly one of the guys that they would have chilled out with on the beach, certainly one of the guys that they would have gone for meals with and had an occasional beer with, and certainly part of that peak period of the late 60s, early 70s, when Arnold was making his way and becoming the, the, the icon of the sport that he was, so there are uh, two or three guys around that, that time that have written about their times with Arnold and, and, and been interviewed and given some of the stories and we'll get onto the specifics of uh, steroids, uh, what the other guys were doing versus what Arnold was done. Cause we've covered that in a previous podcast training wise. I'm going to say, obviously because they're in a group and even if we've varied these sets and reps and whatever else, you're all going to be doing the same kind of exercises, but it's one of those things that we, we touched on in the previous podcast, how fucking cool from a historical perspective is going to be i trained with arnold and we trained chess together we trained arms together and when you've got that group how motivated you are when these guys are all and i mean every single person in that group i can't think of a person who wasn't world class of that time of that period now they might not kick ass in competition now but at that time they were the guys every single one seemed to have a title You've got the Rick's huge talent list and stuff that we've touched upon already. And, and this is the group. There wasn't a person in that group who was so-so or, or average. They're just a bunch of freaks doing crazy stuff and really, really living the, the lifestyle that even some up, up into the eighties, when the guys went off to California and you hear these semi horror stories of sleeping under the boardwalk and sleeping under the pier and sleeping in the cars and getting moved on by the police or 20 of you in a room and all that kind of stuff It's this. Group that preceded that, following on from the Muscle Beach stuff with, with, with the huge crowds. And they were in that group, they were in that thing where they were living what we would call the beach lifestyle train and chill on the beach, and eat healthy food, and get some sun, and chase girls, and maybe have a beer on the weekend. And but really, really living the, what we would think of as the dream. Yeah, what do you think, Steve?
0: Yeah that was the time um really i think every bodybuilder looks back at that time and it's like we wish we would lived in that time and i think yeah. the way it's overhyped and stuff it's definitely true but at the same time look at what rick drazen had to do just to make a living he had to do all this stuff and he wasn't focused 100 percent on bodybuilding like arnold was or like Columbo was or these other Frank Zane was at at that time, he was a Jack of all trades and all this stuff. So we don't know if he would have just focused on bodybuilding. We don't know what would have happened. Maybe he would have been a top 10 guy. Maybe he would have been a top three guy. We don't know, you know, so we could speculate on that. I would say probably not maybe just based on his body, body type, but you know, who knows, but in his situation, he was more focused on wrestling art and acting um, and he did the bodybuilding just to have a good time. He was involved in, you know, with gym managing, with designing logos and stuff like that. So let's speculate, you know, what did he run? What steroids did he run at that time? You know, my best guess, you know, DECA, Primo, D-Bowl, Proviron. Yeah. Those were the four. Um, he probably ran like 800 milligrams a week of DECA at the peak, 600 milligrams per week of Primo at the peak, a handful of Dianabol a day. And then 50, 25 or 50 milligrams of proviron a day. You know, that's probably what, That's those are the four he ran. He could have just ran one. He could have just ran DECA or he could have ran two. He could have ran DECA and d He could have run DECA and Primo. He could have ran Primo and d here and there. But those, those were the steroids that were most likely he ran. And, you know, he was trying to maybe chase a little bit. I would guess that he probably ran a little more than some of the other guys. Maybe, you know, uh, a little more than, a little less than double what the other guys ran.
1: This is what I was going to touch on. And, and again, in the in pre, pre, we, we, we chat this before we start this podcast and, gonna you know, sketch out some ideas and whatever. So one of the things that I said to Steve off air was that there are a, a bunch of stories. And again, I mentioned it just now, when I say that the guys that trained with them at that time that have spoken and been interviewed and kind of hint at what used to go on, and so specifically in a previous podcast, when we were talking about Arnold, the, the legend, the stories that went around Arnold was that Arnold was doing slightly more than the other guys. So if we talk about doses, if we said for argument's sake, uh, just as an example, that Arnold was doing 800, then the other guys were doing three, four, 500. And it was Arnold that took things a little further. And this is, again, this is according to rumor and some of the stories that I've read for myself and, and seen interviews about would say oh, we was all in the car, we discussed this and we would discuss that, but it was all kind of kept private. So the interviewer says, you know, so what were the guys taking? Well, if the guys were taking 30 milligrams of D-bolt, then Arnold would take 50. If the guys were taking 200 milligrams of pre or test, then Arnold was taking 300, 400 and so on. So that, that's pretty much it. And again, um, as, a, as a bodybuilder, as a physique, he, he wasn't in Arnold's class. so." I think the other aspect, which is kind of one of the, the dirty little stories of uh, wrestling, and Rick's been quite open in regards to what went on and all this kind of stuff, so I'm not, it's not a great revelation, but um, if you're carrying that number of injuries, and if you've had that kind of a powder on your body, then it's perfectly normal in that group to be taking quite a lot of painkillers. So I'm going to suggest that, from my perspective, he would have been doing less than Arnold, Probably similar to the rest of the group. that You're going to have those variations, of course. One guy doing one thing. Not everybody's telling everybody else what they're doing. And probably there's going to be some painkillers in there and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's going to be incredibly tough to turn into a top-level professional bodybuilder. And he had a fine physique. Let's not muck about. I've seen the photographs. Very good physique for that time, especially. But it's going to be very, very tough carrying all those kind of injuries. And Steve and I... both carry injuries from the stuff that we've done, not even up to that level. And they had some pains and whatever. Can you imagine getting the smashing in the ring that you're getting for all those years wrestling and then trying to become a top professional bodybuilder with all the injuries that you still get? It's going to be very, very difficult. And in spite of that, he had a fabulous physique. So, yeah. And, of course, wrestlers, sometimes it's played. But let's be to be honest. They're right up with the guys in terms of, just to maintain the muscle tissue that they need to look good when they get into the ring and especially in modern times. But even back then you, you don't do 40 weeks on a row training at random gyms in the middle of nowhere and all that kind of stuff and getting all these injuries and not take steroids or anabolics or performance and drugs of that time, just to stay in shape or to keep the muscle tissue and just to look good for the ring, you're going to be in a slightly bigger pair of trunks maybe a pair of boots, maybe something around the elbow or the wrist or whatever else as as wrestlers are apt to wear. And you still need to look good. You still need to have some shape. Now, the British wrestlers, not so much, but the American wrestlers, even then, in shape, looking good, carrying muscle tissue, and you're working in crappy, shitty backwards gyms and sometimes in the YMCA and sometimes in proper gyms. You're gonna use anabolics to maintain that tissue. You're gonna use painkillers to deal with the aches and pains. You know, you're lucky if you get a massage or a sauna. And this is all on the road. This is hotels, motels. You're here one night, you're here two nights, maybe that kind of stuff. If if, if you're one place a week, it's going to be amazing. And then you get to California and Venice Beach and you start training. So, yeah, 100% is going to be doing something. I don't think that's deniable by in, in any stretch of the imagination. Maybe not to the level that honorable is using. And, again, that's just by rumour and inference from some of the stories I've heard. Yeah, back to you, Steve.
0: Yeah, so... What what did he run as a senior? He lived to 76, yeah. 60s and 70s. What did he run? So, you know, we could speculate on that. Probably some HGH every day. Yeah. Um
1: Is the injury, just the injury, he, yeah,
0: yeah. Some TRT uh yeah. weekly, and then maybe he threw in some primo because the guys from the old school love love primo. Every older guy I talked to they always rave about Primo, so there's no doubt that he probably even loved Primo um, in his 60s. I wouldn't
1: have like the con- contacts for that kind of stuff because of uh, all those people that he knew over all those years. Please God, he was getting a real deal, 100. And
0: and Rick, you know, he, you know, he still liked to work out, and he still liked to train hard, and he still liked to eat clean, even as an older guy. So, but, um, you know, let's get into you know, his, what happened here uh, recently. So what we know, these are the facts. July 18, 2020, he made an announcement on his YouTube page that due to the COVID virus that he stopped doing interviews. He didn't want to get sick. And that's why he started uploading older interviews. So he started doing that. He also mentioned he had been having some kidney issues and also his knees were giving him problems. But he said that he would continue to be positive even though he was injured and sick. One month later, August 17, 2020, one of Rick's children, Adam, said that his father was having complications from the kidney problems and a knee replacement that he had received. So he was back in the hospital. So he had kidney issues. His knees were bothering him. The son asked everyone to keep him in his thoughts. And he said the doctors were doing a great job. Now fast forward uh, about two weeks later, August 30, his three children, Sammy, Adam, and Shane, who uh, at least two of them, by the way, are really, really good artists. Uh, they have their artistic work on, uh, on, on social media, just like their father. They announced that his, their father had passed away. And um, he was 76 years old, as I said, and they, they mentioned to everyone his desire to, to uplift and share his positivity was all that he wanted people to remember him by. So, um, you know, so the death was blamed on kidney failure. Yeah. And also they had mentioned they had a tough time breathing. So, and you know, that's common when we see with older guys, um, older guys and gals, a problem breathing. Now, Rick, we can make the assumption, obviously he wasn't a smoker. Um, so we can make the assumption that just, his body inside was just failing. And when your body inside is failing, your breathing gets harder, harder and harder. His organs were probably failing. Um, when the kidneys go, you're in big trouble, especially at that age. Yeah. And, um, you know, he was 76. Um, he didn't live To be the average medium age of an American, which is a few years older, 78, 79 for a male right now is our age. So I'm going to make the assumption that, you know, look, the steroids probably, you know, lowered his, his life expectancy. But if he wasn't in, you know, hadn't exercised his whole life, ate great his whole life, I would argue Considering all the steroids he ran and considering how much pounding he put on his body, the fact that he even made it to 76 is, is a testament to how well he took care of himself, even if you consider those steroids. So you got you to gotta take that, that into consideration. And he seemed to be doing very well up until the last few months is when things fell apart. So, hey, he lived 75 great years. And, um, you know, you can't, you can't, you know, say anything about that. So I I would love to just go seventy five years like that and live seventy five years. I think I think he has nothing. You know that's perfect. You know that's perfect. Seventy five years is perfect for me. So uh, we can all hope to uh, to have that as well.
1: Yeah, I was going to say something stupid, and I've actually just double-checked while we've been talking. I was going to say something like, wouldn't it be what an amazing life he's had and how cool would it be if we could read about it to see what he's done in more detail? Because our podcast, I mean, today, we're kind of trying to suggest as best we possibly can that we don't know as much as we ought to know about this guy because he's done so much and been such a very life and so such an interesting... Uh, impact that not everybody's aware of which is kind of what we made sure to include that during the podcast where we were talking earlier that we ought to know more about him so i was going to say something stupid like oh we ought to have a book written about him but in fact rick wrote a book in 2016 his autobiography was called uh, for those of you that want to look this up and i might actually buy this myself the time of my life because i would as as steve smith said you go i i'm very very fortunate myself and i'd love to be able to say that i've made money from you I have, but not to any uh, great wealth for any money that I've ever had I've always made more doing an actual normal sensible day job, but I've managed to make a few bucks here and there from the lifestyle that we're involved in but again it's not paid mortgages or serious bills or whatever It's we kind of play money now Rick it's like that it's kind of i I think Rick should have been richer for the stuff that he's done he should have he should have made a lot more money, but I suspect his life. It's been incredibly enjoyable. And this is where, where I'm able to echo some of these things myself, where, where I've been to award ceremonies, where I can hook up with some of the world's strongest men and then know who the hell I am and all that kind of stuff. And Rick is there and is there some more. Uh, so, yeah, to check this out. Go online, get yourself over to Amazon and order his book. It's called The Time of My Life, which came out in 2016. It's something that I, I think I might have a look at myself, whether it's a download or whatever else, because... As, as Steve Smith says, the life this guy's had and what he's done. And we only kind of wish that he lived longer. When you saw him during his uh, YouTube videos, he looked in pretty good condition, tanned, healthy. He's having the time of his life again because he's getting to talk about this very thing that he's done all his life, he's enjoyed. He's interviewing other legends, and I mean proper, proper legends and icons of the sport. He had uh, Rich Pianos on one of the videos where when... Bless him, and it'll show you around the date. So I think it was the 90s when Rick still got, um, Rich be honest, still got a little bit of hair in the videos, but he's still got a fantastic, amazing, freakish physique. And one of the things they actually spoke about and the one that I was thinking of because i just looked at this yesterday was, which I touched upon many times, what works, what doesn't, and the kind of crazy stuff that we've done since. The basics still work, the, the prima bowling still works, this kind of stuff, this approach to training, to, to nutrition to steroids and then you tweak and then you do the advanced stuff and in fact that's quite what the, the, him and rich piano are talking about he's had a bunch of other guys on there so they can talk about the, the lifestyle of being on the road um, and the rick's legend rick's iconography what makes him the man and it's po- not we're not just doing this podcast because he died let's be frank everybody's doing this stuff we're doing it because he the impact isn't known as much as it should be. What he's done, how varied his life's been, the tapestry, this is part of what Rick's Corner was about. But the stories this guy could tell, when, if you're a, 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 a gym rat, as Steve Smith says, if you're a gym rat, if you go to the gym, if you lift, if you train, if this is the kind of stuff that gets your juices, you do your day job and this gets your juices going, this makes you get out of bed in the morning on the days when you've got to do the grind and whatever else, you like going to the gym, you like gripping the bar, you you love this lifestyle, you like talking about steroids and nutrition and, and the psychology of the sport, then this is where Rick is. He's right up there with that kind of stuff. Yes, Steve.
0: One of the reasons Rick maybe wasn't as rich as some of these other guys, he didn't have as many followers as these other guys. I mean, his YouTube page has about 110,000 followers. Last I checked, maybe it's more now that he passed away, but why is that? And you see in the fitness community, other guys with the same amount of followers who haven't contributed shit to the industry, except going on there and attacking other people or they'll make videos. They'll, they'll, You know, they'll talk trash about other people. They'll start fake controversies. They'll start. They've not accomplished shit. They're like 22 years old, and their biggest thing is they started a war with Rich Piana, or they started a war with this guy or that guy just to get clicks and just to get viewers. That's what they accomplished. It's just it's the Kim Kardashian effect of contributing absolutely nothing to society,
1: and. It's but Rick, Rick,
0: Rick contributed way more to society. If, if you <laughs> had taken his followers and, and computed it with how much he's contributed, he should have like 5 million followers, yeah, not yeah, 100,000 yeah. followers. Yeah. And these yeah. other guys with 100,000 followers should, be ha- should have two followers. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's what yeah. I respect about Rick. And he never had a, uh, he never started trash with other people. He never tried to get clicks. He, he was – that's, yeah, that's this- the guy he he
1: did this for love. He did this because he enjoyed it. He he, he wrestled. I mean, I'm sure he's going to make money from time to time. He, he, he even invented stuff, but I don't think he was driven for the cash. He wasn't after the green. He he wasn't. He didn't get out to go to the gym because it was going to make him, you know, get him another four, you know, forty thousand followers on YouTube. He wasn't going to, you know, ten thousand more followers on Instagram. He was doing this stuff because he fucking loved it. Uh, that that's that's the thing. and and, he, and, and when you take that love. And then you look at how varied his lifestyle was and the things that he's done. Christ, if you, Steve and I could say that we'd been in a film or we'd been on TV or we'd written books or, or, or we'd invented stuff, he, was, he, was, he, was, he got a sheriff's badge, I think, from, or some sort of award from the local police where he was. He was involved, he, he was, and that's probably the word that we, we're looking for. He was involved and to, to use the phrase, he, it was real. This, all this stuff was real. That wrestling, you know, you're getting pounded. You're doing that for 40 or 50 weeks of a year. You're, you're falling off of horses when you're filming as a stunt man. All it and is in the fucking gym with Arnold Schwarzenegger, with the guys lifting their damn weights at the, 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 that legendary time, and this is all real that every single thing that we're talking about is real but there was he's not done it for the bucks he's not done it for the views he's not done it for the followers he's done it because he fucking loved it and that's the thing when i sometimes i actually got an award myself some years ago as an ambassador for bodybuilding from an organization called the oscar Heidenstam foundation and the reason being is because when i spoke like i'm speaking now when i wrote i wrote about the pleasure that lifting gave me the pleasure of being involved gave me and this is Rick. Rick deserves my fucking award because he's done this stuff when some of us, me included, Steve included, we weren't even fucking born or in my case, I think when he was lifting with Arnold, I would have been a baby in arms. So he was doing this stuff when, you know, I was still fucking wearing a nappy. So and, and for pleasure not for the bucks not for the fucking you know give me a title give me an award or whatever else the fact that he got awards and that he was recognized is because those people like me and Stephen, and other people that are in the sport gym owners including one of the awards he was given was a joe gold award was recognized for his contribution to bodybuilding from his passion not from his greed not from his followers and, and whatever else but from his passion just because this got the Blood moving around his body in the morning and made him get out of bed when he was carrying his aches and pains and all the other kind of crazy fucked up shit that some of us do when we live this lifestyle. Back to you, Steve. All
0: right, guys. So, guys, we're going to talk about more about Rick. We're going to have uh, some forum posts. If you go on Evolution.org forums, don't be shy. If it's first time on the forum, sign up. We'd love to get your opinion on this yeah. show, and we'd love to get your opinion on Rick and all these other guys. So post up on the forum. Uh, we'll Is that- have-
1: Podcast up. Yep. We've had some good feedback uh, from guys that have been listening to these uh, hardcore and they like what we're doing. They love how we're coming across. So we want more of your feedback, guys. You tell us what you want and and some names and the faces, and we'll crack on and we'll get some more podcasts out for you.
0: All right, guys. So this is 107 Rick Drazen, Life and Death. For Steve, Smee, and Mobster, this has been Evolutionary Radio Horde. Cool. We'll talk to you guys next week with another person. Keep it
1: yeah, up.